last week in our journey through the story, and again, if you are new or haven't been here in a while, for 2017, we're using this book, The Story. It's a 31-chapter narrative summary of the entire Bible, and we're using this as our guide. With it is a bookmark that has all of the different specific scriptures that are being referenced. You can kind of read along in your Bible at the same time. Last week in the story, we witnessed the people of the southern kingdom of Judah lose all that was near and dear to them. And a little, a little more than a century before that, their rival, the northern kingdom of, of Israel, the other half of a once united nation, they had been divided. Israel became Israel in the north and Judah in the south. They both collapsed under the weight of different empires. The northern kingdom collapsed under the weight of the Assyrian empire. The Babylonian empire came to power and took out the southern kingdom of Judah. The key thing to remember, if you can't keep track of the history, is the downfall of both kingdoms was not a surprise. What we've been seeing these last couple of weeks is that God sent prophet after prophet, these messengers, who came with a warning and at the same time with encouragement for the people to stay true to the way of their God, Yahweh. But as we also saw, and it's been a rough couple of weeks being in these chapters, there was just this repeated pattern in both kingdoms, north and south, repeated pattern of wanton idolatry and gross injustice that ultimately brought the tragic consequences of God's promised judgment. And where we left last week is the Babylonians, this picture, this vivid picture, as the Babylonians led by King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and breached its walls. They plundered the city and the temple and destroyed it all with fire. And the lingering word of the prophet Jeremiah in the aftermath of this, that's later picked up by the prophet Ezekiel, was this sobering call for the people to settle in, to settle down as exiles, as strangers in a strange land as they're carted off to Babylon. But from both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, there was also a message that all was not lost. Despite Israel and Judah's failure, the Lord would be faithful to his covenant to them, his plan to give them and through them to give all the world a hope and a future. So today we pick up the story in the place of their exile, in the city, the nation of Babylon. We find ourselves in the book of Daniel among the first group that's deported there. And the first group that was deported there were the young people of Judah, particularly the men, the best and brightest of Israel. This was a strategic move by the Babylonians aimed to ensure that Judah wasn't just conquered, but vanished from the memory of the world. You see, if you educate, if you train, if you then empower the next generation of those you've conquered, you'll assimilate them into your life and culture. That was the theory, anyway. But as we turn to the book of Daniel this morning, we'll see that's not how it turned out. At least not for Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Even though these friends were given new Babylonian names of Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these young men, even though they were given new names, found ways to remain faithful. They found ways to remain and offer a constant witness to who they were as God's people. And that's what we're going to see this morning, their faithfulness. The book of Daniel, if you haven't read it before, we did a sermon series on it back in the fall, if you were with us. The book of Daniel really is divided into two parts. On the one hand, the first part of Daniel is just a narrative recounting the key moments for Daniel and his friends. And then the latter half of the book of Daniel is a continuing series of prophetic visions that were delivered to Daniel by the Lord. That's his status as a prophet. Today we're going to focus on his life, though. 
because I really want to build off of what Pastor John gave us last week. Last week, Pastor John helped us to understand where we were in the story, that the definition and contours of biblical hope, what that, what's that, what that is about. He kind of defined biblical hope for us, this idea of trusting God to provide what we need, even when we find ourselves not getting what we want. And this dovetails perfectly into the book of Daniel because today, through the example of Daniel and his friends, in the midst of two empires, not one, two, the Babylonians and the Persians over the course of the whole book, in the midst of serving three different kings, we can watch them and learn what this practically looks like. How to live out of such hope. What the posture of living hopefully involves. As a way of example of giving you some introduction to the character of Daniel, and Daniel really stands apart. You read the book of Daniel, and I'm kind of giving you a spoiler alert here. Daniel never has that tragic moment. None like David or Solomon. Daniel gets it right the whole way from beginning to end. And I want to give you just a sampling of just his character by reading perhaps one of the most powerful prayers in the Old Testament. A prayer that Daniel prays. And that's what you've opened up to in Daniel chapter 9. And he expresses this prayer not only on behalf of himself, you'll pick that up as we read it, but on all the people. And he expresses this prayer, just to give you a little context, on the other side of his life. This is a prayer that he utters long after he came to reside in Babylon. So just as a, as a way of getting to know Daniel a little bit better, let's hear from Daniel chapter 4 and read the prayer starting in verse 4. So, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Daniel writes, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame. Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now the Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to those all around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. 
For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests to you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You are not going to get, at this part of the story, a more heartfelt, complete, and absolute confession than you will here in Daniel's prayer. That's the character of this man. And, and this is a guy, as we go through this, who very easily could go, you know what, the heck with those people. Just take care of me. But he wraps himself up with his people. He does not separate himself, even though he separates himself by how he lives, not only in Israel and in Judah, but when he has his time in Babylon. So, again, Daniel offers this prayer when he's a much older man. This is when he's way into his 80s. But I want you to see, as we go through the book of Daniel very briefly, that this wisdom and hope that's reflected in this prayer goes way back to the beginning when Daniel was first carted off to Babylon as a teenage boy. And I think what you're going to see as we briefly review the highlights of Daniel's life and his prophetic word, you're going to glean some helpful and encouraging examples, again, of how to live hopefully. How to live hopefully, specifically in the midst of exile. How to live with hope when we find ourselves not where we wanted to be. When the choices of our past have led to the consequences of our present circumstances. And what you're going to see overall is that living hopefully means relying on trusting in the Lord's presence and provision. And that's just dovetailing off of what John defined for us last week. But what we're going to see in Daniel is what it actually looks like. Daniel and his friends are going to show us what does that actually look like to live that out. So first, we have three moments in the life of Daniel and his friends that offer these practical reflections of what this kind of hope, this kind of trust looks like. And the first one is a story from the very beginning, the very start of their time in Babylon. You probably have heard this story, but let me set it up for you again. Daniel and his friends were taken as taken captive as teenagers, and they were selected, remember I told you the best and the brightest, they were selected to be trained and eventually to serve in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. This was an assimilation program. Now, one of the stipulations of being selected to serve in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar was to be, in order to be prepared for this royal appointment, they had to live off the king's table. And that meant they had to eat and drink the provisions of meat and wine that were part of Nebuchadnezzar's diet. This was not only a command, it was considered a privilege. Now, the thing that you need to understand and that the scripture tells us in this story is eating off the king's table, such food and drink were tied to the worship of the gods, the idols of Babylon. So it wasn't just getting some really great food. It also was wrapped up in the theology of the nation, the worship of those gods. Now, when this conflict of interest comes before Daniel and his friends, Daniel humbly asks the chief official assigned to him if he and his friends can opt out of this diet. Now, you can imagine um, this official is concerned for his life as he's been put in charge of Daniel and his friends. And so to counter this official's concern about getting into big trouble for not doing the king's bidding, Daniel purposes, he proposes, you know, let us eat just vegetables and water for 10 days. Just let us eat vegetables and water for 10 days. And then Daniel says, if after that time, myself and my friends, we appear in any way unfit or unhealthy, we will accept and switch over to the king's meal plan. And so it goes. And at the end of 10 days, 
Daniel and his friends were not only fit and well, the scriptures recorded they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Simple story, you may have heard it before, but from this story, right from the beginning, we learn the first practical step in living hopefully. And the first practical step in living hopefully is to follow the Lord's health plan. Follow the Lord's health plan. To rely on God means being nourished and sustained by what God provides. Another way to put this, we need to be careful what we consume. We need to be careful what we consume. Whatever we fill our lives with, this is a universal truth. Whatever we fill our lives with impacts the kind of life we lead. And if you think this is wrong, test it out. Whatever you fill your life with impacts the kind of life you lead. So we have to be careful what we consume. Eating from King Nebuchadnezzar's table was inseparably linked, as I told you, to following and relying on King Nebuchadnezzar's idols. This example from Daniel may involve his literal diet. That's what the story's about. But the lesson that we have here not only applies to food and drink, but to our lifestyle as a whole. Whatever we consume... Whatever it is, the activities that suck up our time, the sort of talk and counsel we nurse off of, the stuff we watch and listen to for comfort and to pass the time, all of these things impact the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. Garbage in, garbage out, the saying goes. Jesus put it a little bit more eloquently that it's what goes into a person, that what comes out of a person that they've taken in, that's what makes the difference. My friends, if we predominantly feed on negativity and hate, if that's your regular diet, negativity and hate, then such a diet is going to shape the person you become, how you engage the world and treat others. If you are consuming a diet of negativity and hate, fear is your posture. You approach this world from a place of fear. Cynicism will be your attitude. You will encounter relationships, people you don't know, news you hear from a cynical standpoint. And ultimately, you will develop a closed mind and a hard heart. That will be your outcome. And that may be, you may think, well, you know what? Better to be defensive, better to protect myself than to be taken advantage of. No. To have a closed mind and a hard heart, for fear to be our posture, cynicism to be our attitude. This is not who God created us to be. This is not who we are as forgiven, redeemed, and whole persons in Christ. This is not the manifestation of a life rooted and harvesting the fruit of the Spirit. If this is who we are as people, we are living counter to the very gospel that we proclaim saves us, that we believe, that we follow. Because you see, if we satisfy our hunger and thirst for meaning and purpose through the philosophies, the ethics, the politics of this world, if that's where you're satisfying your hunger and your thirst for meaning and purpose, purpose, if that's where you scratch your itch, you're missing out. You're missing out on a life lived out of reliance upon God. A life fed by our hope in the Lord. That's what we see in Daniel. Daniel feeds off of that hope. To trust, to hope in the Lord is to live, as Jesus told us, on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. To live and feed on the hope of God is to live our lives, to feed our lives on a diet of prayer. And when I say prayer, once again, I mean to feed our lives off of an ongoing conversation 
of speaking and listening with our creator. It is feasting regularly on a banquet of worship and service, of repeatedly praising and confessing, thanking and generously interceding and sharing with those in need. Daniel's prayer that we read models someone who is eating from the table of the king of heaven, not the king of Nebuchadnezzar. When we are being sustained by hope, we are feeding our faith in the God who is with us and for us. Daniel believed. Don't miss this in the story. Daniel believed if he and his friends ate the king's food, if they were to have better health, if they were to get increased stamina, if they were to improve their minds, that would be credited to the Babylonian gods. But on the other hand, if he didn't eat that food, and yet still reached peak performance, in fact, exceeded it both physically and mentally, then he would reveal through the testimony of his life that the power that they had came from elsewhere, from the presence and provision of Yahweh. My friends, we witness to the faith we have in Christ, to the hope that is ours in the kingdom of God, when we rely, when we feed on the love, grace, and truth of the table the Lord sets before us. Be careful what you consume. Living off the Lord's presence and provision is the first way of living, hopefully. But then we have another story. We have another story, and again, all the stories in Daniel you've learned in Sunday school, you've heard somewhere. And this next story centers actually more around Daniel's friends. And their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I will never stop thinking of them thanks to being exposed to VeggieTales as Rack, Shack, and Benny. So that's how I encourage you to think of them. It rolls off the tongue, Rakshak and Benny. So this story involves Rakshak and Benny. And in this story, King Nebuchadnezzar has not learned his lesson. He builds this enormous gold statue of himself. And what Nebuchadnezzar does after he builds this gold statue of himself, this enormous edifice, he orders that every time he strikes up the band, he has like his own traveling musicians with him, every time he strikes up the band, right, everyone's to bow down to him, to that statue representing him as God. Others in the royal court, let's just call them what they are, envious co-workers of Daniel and his friends, immediately bring this trio to the attention of the king. Because you see, while Daniel's friends, Shaq, Shaq, Rack, Shaq, and Benny, thank you, Shaq, Rack, <laughs> worked for Nebuchadnezzar, they worked for him as the king, they're quietly refusing to bow down to him as a god. They're working for him, but they won't bow down to him as a god. So they're envious co-workers, they're fellow people in the government. Bring them to the attention of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar threatens them. He brings them before them, him, threatens Rakshak and Benny. He threatens to enforce his new law under the penalty of death, being thrown into a fiery furnace. You've heard this story. And still, Rakshak and Benny refuse to comply. And so they're thrown into the furnace. And then something miraculous takes place. The king looks into the fire and sees Rakshak and Benny are unscorched. They remain untouched by the flames. More than this, Nebuchadnezzar views another figure, one it's described like a son of man in the furnace with them. And many people believe in appearance, this is an appearance of Christ prior to his incarnation as Jesus, that Jesus is in the fire with them. Rakshak and Benny come through the fire and King Nebuchadnezzar stops worshiping himself. He tears down the idol and starts glorifying God. And in this story that maybe you've heard before, we have our second example of what hopeful living looks like. Hopeful living means refusing to bow down when the heat gets turned up in our lives. 
Hopeful living means refusing to bow down when the heat gets turned up in our lives. Some people read this story as a story of resistance. Some people read the story of Rackshack and Benny as a story of standing against forces opposed to God's will. But I read this story as a story of surrender, of trust, of standing on the assurance the Lord is with us and for us no matter what we face. If you go back to this story, one of the most powerful moments is in that moment when Nebuchadnezzar threatens Rakshak and Benny. He threatens them with death, and this is their reply recorded in chapter 3. Notice their extraordinary reply to Nebuchadnezzar's threat. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Don't miss this next part. But... Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Talk about living with bold hope, even to the point of facing death with absolute trust. Rack, Shack, and Benny stand before the man who seemingly holds their life in his hands and they say, look, even if we do get burnt alive, this proves nothing. You are still not God. This is important for me, personally, because sometimes, you know, we get this impression that biblical hope is about having no doubts whatsoever. Sometimes that's how we sell it. And what you see here, Rackshack and Benny's declaration reminds us biblical hope isn't about not having doubts. Biblical hope is about putting our doubts in the Lord's hands. You can have doubts. You're gonna have doubts. But it's about putting them in the Lord's hands. The outcome was not certain for Rackshack and Benny. It's easy to read this story knowing what happens. They, in that moment, when they said those words, did not know. They believed. They did not know. The outcome is not certain. It never is from our vantage point. The scriptures say we walk by faith, not by sight. There is nothing wrong with having doubts, my friends. Please hear that this morning. We all have them. Me too. It's what you do with your doubts that counts. If you let them overshadow your life, if you let your, your doubts define your life, rather than face them and honestly bring them before the Lord, that's when your doubts can get in the way of you breaking through to where Jesus seeks to take you. Living hopefully, in other words, means abiding in the promises of God. And that means putting our trust not just in the Lord's abilities, what God is able to do, but entrusting our lives to the Lord's character, believing that God is good. And again, I'm referencing back something John said last week. Before the pressures and challenges of this life, before the pain and suffering of this world, we can all feel the pressure to quit. We can all feel it to give in, man, to give up, to just bow down and go with the flow, to do what feels good rather than to hold on to what's right. But my friends, hopeful living, we see it here. Hopeful living is refusing to take a knee unless it is a knee taken in prayer. Relying on God is to trust in the Lord's presence even in the midst of the flames. Where are you caving into the pressure right now? We're all under it. We're all facing pressure at some point in our lives. Where are you caving in 
In which circumstances of your life are you being tempted, maybe even today, being tempted to just bow down and call it a day? Just bow down. Beloved, when we stand up and stand on the presence and provision of the Lord, we not only find our way through whatever it is we are facing, we bear witness to others to the hope we have in Christ. The greater, gracious, and eternally saving power of a God who doesn't always save us from the fire, but stands with us in the furnace and saves us by bringing us through the fire out the other side. Whether our rescue comes now or on the other side of eternity, we who live by our hope in Christ do not rely on Jesus in vain, for by the cross and resurrection, he has overcome the world. The brokenness and the darkness of this life of sin, we know all too well. Living hopefully is relying on the feeding off of the presence and provision of God. Living hopefully is not bowing down, but standing on the assurance that God is with us and for us no matter what. And the third and final story that teases out what living hopefully looks like is a story that brings us back to Daniel. It's a story when he's in his 80s. He's no longer a teenager. He's in his 80s, and it's a new regime, the Persians. He's got a new king, Darius. New regime, new king, but the challenges for Daniel remain the same. Forces, once again, are working against Daniel in this story. Again, it's co-workers who want to see him gone. And they are so motivated to get rid of Daniel after so many years that they're whispering into King Darius' ear. They're whispering into his ego. And they tell King Darius, you know what you ought to do? You ought to pass a city ordinance. Because those are great. You ought to pass a city ordinance that outlaws for 30 days any prayer, any prayer except prayer to you. That's what you should do. And Darius, that's a pretty good idea. Hmm. You see, Daniel's adversaries are aware of his routine. This is an important setup to this story. Daniel's adversaries are aware of his routine. They know Daniel is a prayer rather than a player. I came up with that all by myself. I know. <laughs> I know. You know it's bad when you have to call attention to it, but I thought it was pretty good. So Daniel was a prayer, not a player. What that means is his whole day, what they know is his whole day is oriented around his relationship. His whole day is oriented around conversing and sharing his life with God and letting the Lord set his focus and agenda. And so they know if they can get Darius to pass this law, they know because it's so ingrained in Daniel's routine, Daniel isn't just going to kick his habit. And sure enough, Daniel doesn't change his daily rhythm. And as you can guess, his behavior is reported to the king and Darius reluctantly, and he's reluctant because here's the thing, Darius likes Daniel. He likes Daniel, but he has to save face. He's the king after all. And so he reluctantly punishes Daniel by having him thrown into a den of lions. And as the sun goes down, he presumes Daniel will meet a grisly death. But much to the king's delight the next morning, if you know this story, Daniel is still alive and well. Daniel credits him being untouched to his vindication by the Lord's hand. And once again, a foreigner, a king, starts praising and pointing to Yahweh as the living God. What we learn through this final story and Daniel's example is hopeful living involves hopeful habits. 
Hopeful living involves hopeful habits. Trusting and relying on God, in other words, emerges not as a reaction when things go south. You are not going to learn how to hope and trust in God if it's a reaction that just comes about when things go south in our lives. Trusting and relying on God emerges when it becomes a rhythm and practice that we live into in our day-to-day lives. We are specifically told in the story, it's a little thing, but it's huge. We're specifically told that when all this goes down, Daniel isn't doing anything different when trouble comes his way. What's significant about this that we're told is Daniel is just doing as he had always done before. You see, Daniel's hope and trust in the Lord was not crisis-oriented. A reactive posture, and we've talked about this before. For many of us, our relationship with the Lord is crisis-oriented, right? It's reactive, God's sort of a distant memory. Jesus is, yeah, we know he's there, but we really don't engage him. We really don't talk to him. We don't bear our soul until all of a sudden things go south. The bottom drops out. Then all of a sudden it's like, my best friend Jesus. God, oh God. Spirit of the living God, I am looking for you. But Daniel isn't doing that. That's not how Daniel reacts in this situation. Daniel maintains a consistent walk with God through a lifetime of practice, an established and cultivated rhythm of relationship with the Lord. My friends, living hopefully, trusting in the Lord doesn't just happen. I hope you're hearing that this morning. Hope is an orientation towards God and towards life that has to be nurtured. Trust is a characteristic of our relationship with the Lord built through regular practices, habits of relating to God that become second nature to us. And this is not telling you anything you don't know. We are creatures of habit. On just in and of itself, we are creatures of habit. And what we need to remember, what, how do we get here in the story? How do we keep getting here at times with Israel and Judah in our own lives as creatures of habit? Remember, on our own, left to our own devices, being self-absorbed, divorced from the word, squelching the spirit on our own, our default habit is sin. It is, our default habit is to forget or to rebel against the Lord. His will, his way for not only our lives, but for this world. It's only, only when we allow ourselves to be rooted in the word It's only when we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit. It's only when we allow ourselves to be centered in Christ that we learn to hope and trust in God our Father. What's powerful about this story that you miss because the Scriptures don't even call attention to it is Daniel's rock solid here because an 85-year-old habit is hard to break. An 85-year-old habit is hard to break Is Daniel's posture your posture? Are these our habits, the rhythm of our life? Our hope in Christ deepening and living out of our trust in the character of God and his kingdom doesn't come without a struggle. That's the other reason why habits are so important because our relationship with God, our living with hope, our trusting in the character of God doesn't come without a struggle. In this world, Jesus says it himself, we will have trouble. Evil is always prowling around, looking to take advantage of us and to bring us and those around us down. Daniel's example teaches us our hope and trust in the Lord begins long before we come face to face with the lions of life. 
Our hope and trust in the Lord has to begin long before we face the lions of life. A rhythm of life oriented around Jesus and spiritual habits like prayer that come with it are not what save us. Understand, the rhythms and the habits are not what save us when the lions come. They are not our hope. But you see, consciously developed and consistently tended habits and rhythm, they don't save us, but they're like a beacon. They remind and reinforce to us and others watching in whom our hope is found. Jesus, the salvation, the victory that are already ours in Christ. You see, that's when you live a reactive life, when you live um, crisis-oriented, all you're doing is you're suddenly just picking up the tools and you're expecting the tools to save you. I'm praying, so prayer ought to make a difference. I'm reading scripture. The Bible's supposed to change my life. No. If you don't have a life where you have a rhythm and a practice of those tools being second nature to you, then you're gonna mistake them as being what saves you rather than understanding that they're the means of creating the beacon that keeps you rooted, that keeps you centered. Not in stuff, but in a living, breathing, real person, the risen Christ. You know, you can read the book of Daniel and you can be tempted to put Daniel on a pedestal. Like I told you, Daniel has seemingly in this book no flaws, no all of a sudden slip-ups. He's just consistent. Teenager, I mean, all the way to his 80s, right? And you might be able to say, well, okay, it's really tough using Daniel as an example because Daniel was one of those, you know, overachiever guys, you know? And then let's just add on top of it, he was called and empowered as a prophet of God, a messenger of the Lord. Come on, give me a break. But what you need to not forget is just like the rest of the biblical prophets, Daniel's ability to speak truth to power as he stood before foreign kings, Daniel's ability to receive visions of a distant future in terms of where and how God would work were the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't about him. And you need to further keep in mind Daniel's insights as a prophet were not just deposited into him. I don't know how you think about the prophets, but it's not some sort of spiritual data dump. You know, where God just kind of goes. The prophets who were who the prophets were out of a, as a byproduct of their relationship with God. Daniel was who he was by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, but by also his continual submission and reliance upon the Lord, not just in his life, but with his life. Are you relying upon the Lord in your life? or with your life, there's a difference. So from Daniel and his four friends, three friends, excuse me, these four guys, who spent their lives, by the way, don't miss this too, as civil servants. These are guys who were working in government service. We witnessed these men of faith and practices far different from the government they were serving, and we, we glean three practical means for living hopefully. Ways of tangibly trusting and relying on God in our lives. Pay attention to what you consume, what you're taking in and living off of. Stop feeding on an unhealthy diet of fear and cynicism, the fast food, the guilty pleasure of our culture. Consciously be nurtured and sustained by the word of God, the faith of Christ, the promise of the kingdom of heaven. That's number one. And number two, when the heat gets turned up in your life, don't just bow down to the pressure. Stand up, stand firm, press into and live out of the presence and provision of Jesus' unconditional love for you, his immeasurable grace towards you, 
and his unbreakable promise to resurrect you from death whenever and however it comes. And third and finally, center and build your life out of your relationship with this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Center and build your life out of your relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Instead of reacting to what comes at you before it comes, be proactive in cultivating practices that become habits, habits that become a rhythm of relationship with the Lord so that the, your relationship with Jesus becomes the defining and sustaining relationship of your life. If I were to summarize all this another way, I'd point out first an interesting observation about Daniel's life. Daniel, as you've heard me allude to, lived long enough to hear the royal decree of King Cyrus of Persia. He lived through Babylon, lived into the kingdom of Persia, and he lived long enough to hear King Cyrus of Persia give the Israelites an opportunity to go back to Jerusalem. But seemingly, according to the biblical record, Daniel never went back. For 70 years, think about that. For 70 years, so many people of Israel, exiles of Judah, had been waiting and praying. You heard Daniel pray for it too. They prayed for their long national nightmare to be over. And when that moment comes, Daniel stays right where he is. He doesn't go back. Why? I don't know this, but I think the reason Daniel never went back what I see from his life is that Daniel, through his life, living out of his hope and trust in the Lord, Daniel realized something that others didn't. While others needed to have their land back, while others needed to rebuild the temple in order to come home to the Lord, Daniel didn't need the land, Daniel didn't need the temple, because after decades, decades of walking by faith, Daniel learned the Lord was his home. The Lord was his home. Daniel, Rack, Shack, and Benny lived their lives hoping and trusting. And while they might be stationed in the nation of Babylon or Persia, nothing could change their address as residents of the kingdom of heaven. Together they figured out the Lord was already with them, always present, exactly providing whatever was needed wherever they were. How about us? Are we living in the place that the Lord has already prepared for us too? Are we living in the place that the Lord has already prepared for us too? Or are we still linking our salvation, our blessedness with something other than grace? Are we still linking our salvation, our blessedness with something tangible we can get our hands on? With somewhere, a better time that we wanna go back to or perhaps the greener grass on the other side of life? Are we living in the place that the Lord has already prepared for us or are we still trying to prepare a place for ourselves? Trying to establish our present or to secure our future? So busy running around trying to orchestrate where we are, where we want to be, that we're forgetting or forsaking actually living in the moment. Showing up and answering where Jesus is calling us right here and right now. Are we occupying space or are we inhabiting a place? Are we occupying space or are we inhabiting a place? Because my friends, as followers of Jesus, we are not just called to take up and occupy space. We are ambassadors for Christ. 
We have been set apart. We have been authorized, empowered, and equipped to inhabit a place, to inhabit the places where we find ourselves and to claim those places as embassies, outposts of the new reality inaugurated by Jesus Christ. We have been called to inhabit a place and to make it an embassy of the kingdom of God where the fires of injustice are eclipsed by the compassion and mercy of God, where our prevailing diet of fear and condemnation is replaced by a healthy serving of love and forgiveness, where the roar of evil and death is muted by the peace and promise of resurrection and eternal life. Daniel and his friends may have started as teenagers, they may have grown up as strangers in a strange land, but as they adapted, they never wavered in their conviction, in their hope and trust, because they came to understand, don't you see? They came to understand they were already living in the place prepared for them by God. And for them, that was enough. More than enough. It was everything. It was that that made them prayerful, purposeful and powerful witnesses for the Lord God Almighty. And so, beloved, my friends in Christ, we live as a people of hope. We live as a people of hope, but such hope is active, not passive. We have things to do, places to go, people to see, love, grace, and forgiveness to share so that others might join us on the way. This world may not be our home, but this world is where Christ is present, where Christ is on the move, where Christ goes before us. If we would follow him, if we would be with him, then we need to inhabit the places he's already prepared for us. To begin that journey, let us, like Daniel, recognize and live out of the hope set before us. Regardless of where we are, no matter what is happening to us, our God is with us and for us. Like Daniel, let us become witnesses to this hope guaranteed by the cross of Christ and assured by the resurrection. Let us together be faithful, hopeful ambassadors of the trust we have been given through the gospel. Amen.